The thoughts, opinions, and general overall shade thrown on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. It's finally Friday. That's right. It's Friday, September 8th. And today, oh, Rico, I know you're going to be excited for this. It is national. Today is Star Trek Day for all you Trekkies out there. It's also Star Wars guy. It's also National Pediatric Hermatology Oncology Nurses Day today and World ampersand day you know what an ampersand is that's that little and sign when you're typing just in case you didn't know rico oh yeah thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us it's also high noon on the east coast and please remember to like share and subscribe to us on all social media platforms use that fancy little qr code right there in the top hand corner of your screen to see where we live on the internet and we are live every monday through friday on youtube and audio only on some places, but, uh, you know, you're going to have to download that after the show on a little podcast or something until we get this tech thing figured out. But nonetheless, we are going to kick it off first with the dope dad himself. That's right. It's Rico Lamite. He's a professional back floater. He's a professional back peddler. He's a professional back dangler. And any other things going backwards. That's right. It is none other than the dope dad himself. That's right. It is Rico Lamite. I don't think my shit. I don't even know if you heard the applause there. But thank you, Jason. As I back story. Any any anytime. Anytime. <laughs> and uh, speaking of backstroke. Yeah. If, speaking of backstroke, when I first read today's headline, I swore it had to be a typo or a reprint of Rochelle Gordon's uh piece that she covered yesterday about leech uh lake band of Ojibwa legalizing in Minnesota. But sure enough, it was totally different. And what seems to be a growing trend in the midst of the rest of America's chaotic cannabis legalization news, yet another indigenous group is deciding to move forward with cannabis legalization on their own terms. Against the wishes of conservative state leadership controlling the surrounding stolen properties outside their sovereign territorial lands borders. And this time, it's right in the heart of Confederate Southern tobacco country, North Kakalaki. Marijuana Moments Brian Adlin reported yesterday evening that the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, the EBCI, passed a referendum in favor of legalizing marijuana, becoming the first jurisdiction within the borders of Northern, uh, North Carolina or any of its surrounding states to commit 
to the policy change. Unofficial results posted by the EBCI's Board of Elections revealed members approved the measure 70 to 30%. The referendum does not legalize cannabis automatically, but tribal leaders committed to following leaders lead, assuming the voters lead when they ultimately take up the issue. Sales would be open to, uh, to all adults over 21, regardless of tribal membership. The passage of the measure was uh, simultaneously an assertion of the tribe's autonomy and a calculated risk in checking the power of noted Republican prohibitionist and U.S. Rep. Chuck Edwards, uh, who recently warned the tribe against legalization. We reported last month that ahead of the election, uh, a war Edwards authored the uh, open editorial in the tribal news publication, Cherokee One Feather, saying legalization on the tribal land would be irresponsible and that he intended to stop it. EBCI Principal Chief Richard G. Sneed told Marijuana Moment Edwards his move was a big misstep, and he believed pushback from Edwards and others, uh, other prohibitionists actually emboldened tribe and tribal members to support the measure. Sneed said in an interview, the worst thing that a non-Indian elected official can do is tell a sovereign, federally recognized Indian tribe how they ought to handle their own business. Last week, Edwards followed up on that threat by, uh, by introducing the Stop Pot Act, aiming to cut 10% in federal transportation funding from all tribal governments and U.S. states with legal recreational cannabis on their land. But Sneed laughed off Edwards' move in Congress, knowing his people got the juice now. And at this point, there's nothing colonizing chads like Edwards can do about it. He said, I can tell you that in D.C. right now, a bill like that will be going nowhere. The article goes on to interview Bob Perro, founder of the Indigenous Cannabis Industry Association, the ICIA, who applauded the tribe's handling of the measure. And he said this. How EBCI approached the, uh, the referendum and determined their course of action is a great example of what sovereignty can look like when it's done in a good way. This is just one small aspect of their government, but this is a powerful opportunity to showcase what that actually means for government-to-government -government relations in an emerging industry, end quote. Legalization on EBCI's 57,000-acre koala boundary stands to generate millions in much-needed revenue for the tribe. Forrest Parker, a, uh, the general manager of Koala Enterprises, LLC, the tribe's very own cannabis company, said in July, if adult use were legalized, revenue could conservatively reach $385 million in the first year and exceed $800 million by year five. Koala boundary uh, currently is currently the only place in North Carolina where medical marijuana is legal. And uh, the article goes on a bit detailing Koala's efforts to get its medical program up and uh, running since uh, first being approved back in 2021. It's definitely worth the read. There's a lot of parallels with what they're dealing with and the issues that they're dealing with in the rest of uh, the industry, too. But um, I love this story for so many reasons. But above all else, to me, it feels good to see indigenous nations further asserting their sovereignty against the wishes of illegitimate prohibi prohibitionists conservative leadership looking to control what they got going on on their borders because it happened so long ago and uh, because the colonization effort was so successful everybody tends to for either forget or i don't know if you're like me growing up in virginia public schools right next door to north carolina maybe they were never even informed of just how bad native american genocide was an estimated 100 million people died they were murdered and had their land stolen thanks to European colonization and westward expansion before another 60 million were murdered at the hands of white Christian imperialism that lasted up until 
and through the passage of the 13th Amendment on December 6, 1865. Now, in quote-unquote legal ownership of a fraction of the fraction of what should be their rightfully owned land, y'all still trying to tell them what to do. Enough is enough. Remember the name Chuck Edwards and take note of anybody else choosing to back that bullshit stop pot act. When people show you who they are, believe them. I'm Regal to meet the dopest dad on the street. High nine news. Y'all got to say about this. one. Oh, man, I love this story, man. I, I really I'm very happy for this uh, for this tribe. I can't wait to see what they're going to do out there. And anytime you get to snub your nose at a prohibitionist politician with cannabis, I'm excited. Yeah, thank you, Rico. Thank you for bringing the story. I saw this one yesterday. Almost took it yesterday, but I, you know, I went with the one that I had. I'm so happy that you brought this to light. I can't even believe. I can't. Even be I mean, I can, but here we are, middle of tobacco country, and this guy is just gonna try to take away it. their rights on their land. I wish, I wish that they did this 50 years ago. I wish it's been like that, you know, forever. I mean, I mean, Stone, are you gonna drive out to North Carolina and go and check out this Indian res? I mean, it's not too far from you. <laughs> hey, <laughs> now, if we can incorporate that into, you know, a piece. Yeah, yeah, you're going you're gonna to hit the high road, I thought. I'll hit the high road and go do that. But hit the I, high I road. Was like the question yesterday, we'll how get, far would I drive? We'll get, we'll get, we'll get you and, and Petey Pablo together in a car to drive to North Carolina. And you, you guys, you guys, can, right you guys can drive around and swing, swing your towels out the window the whole ride. You like that? Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this one yara well some thoughts and i appreciate you inviting me to uh to say it instead of me just blurting out like i got tourette's I, there's there's some issues that come up for me you don't on the one hand we're talking about a sovereign nation and the notion that we can interfere with what happens in a sovereign nation flies in the face of sovereignty right and so i think that that's kind of the most important thing and then there becomes the practical real world. Yeah, most Indian reservations don't have their own power plants. Most Indian reservations don't have their own hospitals. Some Indian reservations still rely upon the services that are provided uh, from the United States, as well as the funding. And so when this guy was talking about pinching their budget and some of these things, you know, he was trying to hit them where it hurts, which is in their pocket. So it is a sovereign nation, but we're really still interdependent. And, and, and so the, the challenge that I have, because we've been excited about cultivation on Indian lands for decades here in California, the challenge that I have is that even though there's this sovereignty, the moment that cannabis travels outside the reservation, that is technically international drug smuggling. Yes, right? it so is. Like, yes, it is. We still have to figure Correct. it out how to accommodate for that sovereignty, but to allow that cannabis to be used and enjoyed by people outside of the occupants of the reservation. So if that cannabis was only grown and used by people on the reservation, it's kind of a get out of here, right? Like I'm trying to channel my best you know, impression of my grandfather from New Jersey, right? Like whatever, the United States has no say on that. But most of these Indian reservations are looking at cannabis as an economic revitalization tool. And because of that, they're counting on the dollars from outside of those reservations to help support those reservations. So I think it's a complicated and delicate dance. Well, at the same time too, 
at the same time, too, I mean, I ju- I'm just wondering how long it's going to take until you have some 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 rogue North Carolina state troopers that just basically sit outside of the res on state property waiting for people to leave and then just uh, pull them over over suspicion that they are going to be carrying a controlled substance on them. I mean, I think or, if I go for like my saw in, in Oklahoma, they even go on their land and confiscate their shit. They're not going to I don't think they're going to do all that. I think if I go from my cerebral to my heart, that that Rico's embedded opinion as he read the article is really, really the guiding principle here, right? Like we can talk about sovereignty. We can talk about road funding. We can talk about what happens when cannabis crosses over an international border. But I think the bigger picture is what Rico touched upon, which is that given our nation's history and our relationship with the indigenous people who were here before this became one of the greatest countries for immigration, we have an obligation as American citizens to try to do what we can to make right which that which will never be made right and that which predated our own personal existence. But we still carry a burden of of trying to rectify the harms that were done in the name of expansion and colonialism. And so with that in mind, I think most tribes should receive grace, a pass, some extra consideration, and really our hearts, right? Being on a reservation has not been a great experience for the indigenous people. You have any, you have any thoughts on this, uh, Dr. Mark? Any, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I um, see that, you know, it's perfectly fine to give them cigarettes, booze, meth, and Delta 8, right? So it's like, gambling, you know. Gambling addiction, too? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I, I don't know. Like, I think the sovereignty issue aside, um, you know, certainly substance abuse is rampant on the reservation, and cannabis could only be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. And and on that, I think what's that, Yara? If they, a, if they name a strain the smallpox blanket, I'm gonna feel like that's kind of an act of really, oh, you know. Well, that's it's all. We're gonna go to a commercial on that. We'll be right back. How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. All right, y'all. Coming up next, y'all know who it is. He is known for smoking the best weed in the world. He is the cannabis industry's longest continuously operating retailer and also an avid supporter of a soon-to-be convicted Stop it. He's not going to be convicted. He is not going to get convicted, bro. You guys are just living this pipe Jason dreams Beck. over here. He's going to be your next president pretty soon, Rico. Watch out. But I don't know, man. watch out. Watch out. Oh, man. We got some good legislation going on uh, in Pennsylvania because a Pennsylvania state senator says that me- a medical marijuana card is no proof of DUI and that laws should change. Oh, yes. This fall, Pennsylvania lawmakers are expected to address a medical marijuana issue that has lingered since the program was enacted back in 2016. 
As KDKA political editor John Delano explains, it's whether anyone with a medical marijuana card is automatically guilty of a DUI when driving. That's right, more than a half a million Pennsylvanians have a medical marijuana card and most of them drive. But does that card make them an impaired driver while on the road? In a quote, a glitch in Pennsylvania's DUI laws allows Pennsylvanians who are legitimately using a, se- a state-approved medication to be prosecuted to conviction regardless of whether or not they were impaired by that, says attorney Patrick Nightingale, who represents the cannabis users. Because of the state's zero-tolerance rule for driving under any federal Schedule One drug, which cannabis is, police have charged drivers with a DUI just for showing them their state medical marijuana card, says Nightingale. That used to happen out here in California, by the way. In a quote, with Pennsylvania's zero-tolerance statute, every single medical marijuana patient is DUI 24-7-365, regardless of whether they are impaired, he notes. In another quote, he says, My bill says you must prove impairment in order to be given a DUI, says Pennsylvania Senator Camera Bartarola, or Batatola, Hey, Washington County, get ready for this, Rico. That's right. He is a Republican. That's right, guys. Look at that. Republicans putting in some good legislation. Bartatola has uh, reintroduced her bill, Senate Bill 363, to remove the assumption that every medical marijuana user is an impaired driver, and she expects the Senate's action on it soon. Delano asks, can someone who is on a medical marijuana, who is on medical marijuana, be an impaired driver? Uh, Bartotota says, absolutely. Someone who is taking medical cannabis absolutely can be impaired, but not all are. Unlike the blood alcohol test for for drunk driving, uh, Bartotota says that researchers are working on but have no definitive test yet to prove what level of THC or other elements of marijuana actually impair driving. Because of the state zero uh, tolerance rule for for driving with any federal federal Schedule 1 drug, which cannabis is, police have charged drivers with DUIs for just showing them their state medical marijuana card, Nightingale says. With Pennsylvania's zero statute, every single medical marijuana patient is DUI. And um, that leaves it up to the standard field sobriety test and police uh, observation to determine impairment, says Nightingale, like the walk and turn, finger on the nose, the horizontal gaze nystagmus, and make additional observations that 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 an officer can, in their professional opinion, associate with being impaired. And word on the streets is that also includes you having a green tongue. But just having a medical marijuana card would no longer be automatic proof that you're driving under the influence, says Nightingale. He says, I would submit that law that law enforcement is very well equipped to detect either alcohol or drug-impaired drivers. And Bartarola uh, and Nightingale say, you are not obligated to tell a police officer that you are a medical cannabis uh, patient or are required to show them your medical marijuana card. And they say, both say, to keep that card away from your driver's license that you must show. So basically what they're saying is if you are a Pennsylvania patient, make sure that your cannabis card is not anywhere near your wallet and is not in clear and plain view when you open up your wallet to pull your driver's license out because they can use that as probable cause to give you a DUI. And this is Jason Beck for the High at 9 News Hour. What do y'all think about this? Pennsylvania DUIs. 
I think it's fantastic that they're introducing this legislation. And it's not surprising that they were using the card to give people DUIs because they used to do that here in California when you would show them your doctor's recommendation and you were in a prohibitionist county and they would automatically charge you with transporting on top of drug driving. That's crazy. That's just, yeah, this is... That's crazy. That that just blows my mind. Just just the possession of the card. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean, in 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 all fairness, I understand where they're coming from because they're like, hey, that's probable cause that it's probable that you have marijuana on you or you have marijuana in your system since you have that card because that card identifies you as using that substance. So I understand where they're 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 looping their laws around, but I do think that it's a gross overreach of the of the justice system. A gross uh, overreach. Ahead, I used to live. I used to live in Pennsylvania, and what I can tell you is that um, just outside of our local dispensary, uh, they actually had a couple state boys, one mm -hmm. uh, unmarked and one marked, and they were just pulling people over, knowing that people just went to the dispensary, just bought something, probably popped it open to smell it. As soon as they pop it open and they break that seal. It's been opened in the car and you could smell it now and they were just pulling people over left and right. Hey, shout out to Patrick Nightingale. He was actually my son's attorney when he got into a little bit of trouble. Oh, look but he's at that. Probably the best cannabis attorney in the state of in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So shout out to Patrick. He's just a wonderful guy. Awesome. Look at that. In the little... state, and I think the Pittsburgh director of normal. Oh uh, yeah, that would that that would make sense. That that would make a lot of sense right there for sure. And he's also actually, I think he had a very key case, Jason, that involved whether or not the smell of cannabis was probable cause to search. And it was actually Patrick's case in Pennsylvania that I believed overturned the notion that just the smell of cannabis alone was probable cause to search the vehicle. Which, which makes perfect sense of if that was his case of why he would be going after this next. Natural progression. Mm -hmm. huh? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think the challenge here is that while it's great that we're moving away from ridiculous, it's not so great that we don't have a scientific-based standard around the difference between ingestation versus intoxication. I disagree. I disagree. I think there is a, a, I think there is a science-based test, and it's called common sense. I would never want to rely upon the common sense of a trooper who'd worked 12 hours and who already had so many variables they had to sort of consider about whether they were going to give somebody a DUI or not. They have great guidance and guidelines when it comes to alcohol and some of these other intoxicants. And when it comes to cannabis, I just feel that once somebody has pulled someone over, they're a little invested in the outcome. And, and I just think that we've been really working on sort of a science-based rubric for what intoxicated driving is with cannabis for a long time and the science still isn't in yet and so it's just it's challenging me i still think that it disempowers the cannabis user to allow that to be discretionary on the part of the field officer oh no I st I still that's absolutely correct so what science tells us again is that um, we have to be able to correlate some of these detectable metabolites to impairment. And until that's done in a statistically significant swath of the population of users, this is just all spin and bullshit. Any breathalyzer thing, anything where they're detecting something, they have to correlate that directly to impairment. And as our previous, previous speaker just said, yes, that's known for alcohol. It's not known for cannabis. And until that's known for cannabis, this is just all bullshit. Mm -hmm. I just, I just don't believe in drug driving. I, I'm not, I'm not 
I, I believe that you'd probably fall asleep at the wheel before you actually were actually drug driving when it comes to cannabis. That's just how I, I, mean, how I um, look at it. <laughs> when, 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 do you, when, when do you believe in the law and when do you um, not believe in the law, Jason? When, I, I mean, I always believe in the law. The law is real. So what, what, I don't understand your, your, your question. Does law really promote order? Law is order. Law and order. It had a, they had a whole TV show all about it. What comes first? Law. Then the order. <laughs> we need that little sound bite. The dun 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 dun. dun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you think, Stone? I mean, you live out in Texas, and you know there's a lot of little rural prohibitionist police out there that love to use DUI as a cause for arrest. Definitely, but I'll tell you, Texas doesn't have an actual medical card, so there's no card for him to see to to make that connection. So it's all going to be on on smell and common sense, really. You know. And since you I guys, I can't believe that I can't believe that it's possible to give somebody a DUI just for being a a, a medical cannabis patient. Yeah, that just blows my mind just as much as not being able to be a gun owner if you're a, a cannabis patient, because mm-hmm. some of the reasons that 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 are qualifying reasons to get a cannabis uh recommendation those same people that aren't using cannabis can own guns so just because i choose to treat my whatever ailment with a natural plant medicine you know I'm, i can't own a gun or i'm gonna get a dui that's mm-hmm. excuse my language sure. fucking ridiculous. it's because it's, it's because if you're using cannabis stone you're a degenerate that's why oh stop it how much poetic justice will it be when um all these charges against Hunter Biden get uh, get dropped because because of Joe Biden's uh, uh, because of corrupt laws, state because of corrupt justice court. department <laughs> conservative Supreme Court loosening gun laws and that's why you can't convict Hunter Biden. That, I mean, all they got to do is convict him of uh, having cocaine in the White House because we know that straw has his DNA on it. <laughs> That's Don Jr., bro. Come on. No, that is not. It's not. It's not left over from before, bro. Stop the. Stop the. Don madness. Jr., Kimberly Guilfoyle, and Hunter Biden was having a party in the hot tub. Oh God. Called over a couple oh, gals. Oh boy. And Joe oh, Biden boy. was asleep in the same room. And they were all looking at a magic <laughs> mirror, huh? Mm-hmm. I bet. I bet. Let's keep this party yeah, we're gonna keep this. Keep this party rolling. We have uh, we have a brand new correspondent, long time watcher, first time on the show. It is Mister. Dr. Mark, and Mark, I, forgive me, I am going to murder your last name. How do I actually Sheldon. pronounce it? Huh? Sheldon. Sheldon. Okay. All right. We have Dr. Mark Sheldon joining us. He's a PhD chemist with 30 years experience and a deadhead for over 50 years. That's right. It makes the chat happy. He's recognized expert in natural product chemistry, essential oil extraction, and synthesis. And he's even invented a novel cannabinoid. Get ready for this, you guys. HHCA, which you can purchase at any local gas station, especially in Texas. And from the shores of Lake Champlain (laughs) in beautiful Colchester, Vermont, the home of Better Chem Consulting, it is none other than the Dr. Mark Sklone. Sheldon. Sheldon. Sorry, yeah, Mark. So I'm going to have to work S- on that a little bit. S-C-I is sh, and then E is silent, right? Like Capone and Stallone, but in Italian, it's Sheldoni. Sheldoni. All right. I, I, yeah. Oh, man. Let's get some cannolis out. All right. Well, thanks, Jason. Appreciate the intro. And yeah, a long time 
uh, listener and watcher and um, always appreciate what you guys are doing and want to um, basically uh, cover a few things that involve uh, the chemistry that I understand oh so well. So my story comes from the Journal of Cannabis Research and it was originally published in uh, July of this year and this was by uh, a group at uh, Infinity Chemical in San Diego and the title of the article was Potency and Safety Analysis of Hemp Delta 9 products, the hemp versus cannabis demarcation problem. And hemp derived delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol products are freely available for sale across much of the USA, but federal legislation allowing their sale places only minimum requirements on companies and products requiring no more than 0.3 delta 9 THC by dry weight, but no limit is placed on overall dosage. This is how they can get away with putting a delta 9, enough delta, psychoactive delta 9 into a gummy because it's just below that 0.3 limit. Uh, so no limit is placed on overall dosage and there's no requirements that the products are even tested. So all of the mandatory testing that's mandatory in all of the state regulated uh, cannabis programs, in this, this hemp thing there is no regulated uh, or it, uh, administered regulated testing that's mandatory. However, some states such as Colorado specifically prohibit products created by chemically modifying a natural hemp component. So in this study, they took 53 Delta-9 products that were ordered and submitted to Infinity Cal Laboratories down in San Diego. And they, uh, they analyzed them. And the lab analysis looked at potency. They looked at the presence of impurities and whether or not Delta-9 was present. Was it natural Delta-9 or was it chemically converted Delta-9 from CBD? Uh, and they also looked at the presence of whether or not any age verification because some of this product can actually just be obtained by just clicking the I'm older than 21 box on, on an internet order. So in the results, uh, while 96.2% of the products were under Delta 9 THC limit, 66% of the products that they analyzed differed from their stated dosage by more than 10%, which is substantial. Uh, and although 84% uh, provided a lab report to the customers, 71% of these uh, did not check for you know impurities like heavy metals, solvents, or other things that could be potentially harmful to users. Additionally, 49% of the products were basically converted from CBD to THC. Um, and um, this is pretty alarming. And this is a comment that I've added into the chat uh, for many stories that have been covered here on High at Nine, which is that, you know, in cannabinoid markets, we're essentially in a commodity market where cost of manufacture is really extremely important in maintaining profitability or even achieving profitability. So having the ability to 
you know, dial down the cost of your inputs is extremely important in a commodity market. And right now, just because of the abundance of CBD isolate that's been made available because of the farm bill, uh, its price has crashed. You'll remember the price of isolate uh, pre-farm bill was, you know, somewhere around 10,000 a kilo. After the farm bill, it dropped like to about two or 3,000. I remember doing a model for a company and we were modeling at 1,500 a kilo. That kilo of CBD now is crashed below $500 a kilo. <laughs> and that's significant because now the cost of THC is, is lower when you convert it from, from CBD. And what this paper found is that half of the products that they analyzed, so they looked at how many products here, looked at 53 products, half of them um, were derived from, from hemp-derived D9. So what that says, the implication is that somehow hemp-derived D9 is getting into the uh, regulated markets. Uh, that's probably pretty alarming for many people, especially people who are trying to, you know, grow cannabis and extract it. And the fact is, is that, you know, when there's THC in a gummy, that THC has no memory <laughs> from where it came from, whether it came from cannabis or whether it came from a chemical conversion of CBD. What this paper shows is that there is a demarcation. They can basically determine that certain products are derived from, from hemp because there's, there's chemical cues that are left behind. In the chemical conversion, which isn't clean, there's byproducts that are generated. And in this report, they basically find those byproducts and then they can basically determine that this is derived from CBD uh, derived THC and not from from extracted from cannabis. So it's a pretty uh, you know big problem that we have to deal with, which is that um, it's cheaper to make THC from readily abundant CBD than it is to grow THC and extract it from plants that make THCA. You decarboxylate it, you make THC. So. That's my story. Uh, be interesting to have a discussion about the ramifications of what this means. This is one of many studies that has looked at commercial products and has found um, a lot of uh, uh, solvents and, and other byproducts. Some have found heavy metals. The heavy metals can come from leaching from the uh, vape hardware itself and may not be unique to hemp derived cannabinoids and certainly could be in other cannabis derived uh, vape pens. But certainly I guess one of the alarms that you have to think about right away is that states like North Carolina where you know you can go to jail for smoking a joint on the corner on the way to the jail you could stop at the gas station get yourself a Delta 8 pen so this is Dr. Mark reporting from Hyatt 9. Oh, oh, yeah. Dr. Mark on his debut here at Hyatt 9, dropping some knowledge. And found the loophole in metric of how people are putting in <laughs> hemp-derived THC into their quantified THC products. Oh, man, I can't wait till the regulators find out about this one. <laughs> the, hyper, the, the hyper loophole. Yeah. 
Uh, I, w- I wonder if this. I wonder if this. Uh, this happens with BioTrack too, or if it's just a metric problem. Well, I think some of these products too. I, I mean, they're they're buying them on the internet. They're buying them, I think, at dispensaries, but they're getting them probably just about everywhere. And I would imagine that again, depending on whether or not, like in a gummy, for example, if, if you have if the gummy itself, if one serving of gummy is say like four grams you could have like two milligrams of thc in there and still be below that 0.3 limit so is that but when you eat that gummy i mean even a a thc user like myself i would probably feel the psychoactivity of that gummy should that be available because it's below that 0.3 percent i mean the the devil's in the details and that is that material that went into that gummy recipe was certainly not below 0.3 percent so somewhere there's a there's a thc fraction that's not hemp compliant but in the final gummy it's hemp compliant so mm-hmm. is that cool i mean on the thc side it's like a th it's like thca I mean, no, it's yeah. th- it's THC at this point. It's not THCA. Yeah, it's all THC. I mean, I I'm just saying like trying to like make the like make the parallel. You know, in the in the world of a, a, a THC, like they're saying that THCA is not illegal. <laughs> so, well, what that is, what that is, I mean, they weren't explicit in the language of the Farm Bill. They're explicit around around THC. It has to be below 0.3, but they're like, oh, they don't say anything about THCA. Well, the plant doesn't make THC. It makes THCA. Then when we smoke it, we decarboxylate THCA and turn it into THC, which is a psychoactive substance. But if you read the in-depth language of the Code of Federal Regulations, they do require post-decarboxylation of the hemp. So any high THCA flower, Rico, is going to analyze for high THC cannabis and not these hemp people are flying under, well, it's THCA, it's not THC. But what they're forgetting or they just don't understand the chemistry of is that is that THCA is 87% THC. <laughs> Man, you know, you know what it sounds like to me, Doctor Mark. It sounds like you should be consulting for the DEA. Oh, no. <laughs> oh my God! I, I, I have to look over I my shoulder when I leave the lab at night. <laughs> I vote for Doctor Doctor Mark as the uh, the U.S. cannabis czar. <laughs> Under yeah, I, I'm all about freeing the weed and 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 ending prohibition. These things like Delta 8 and HHC are only made possible because of the ridiculousness mm-hmm. of the prohibition itself. If people had free and readily access to cannabis, Delta 8 would, we would think, would be a strain of COVID, right? HHC would just be a curiosity for a researcher like me. And we're interested in researching those compounds because often, when you have natural products and you start making analogs of natural products, you could get changes in activity or changes in toxicity and when you're talking about developing medicine for alzheimer's and traumatic brain injury and things that are really important we we need to be able to have access to these cannabinoids but we don't need them accessed recreationally right we need them accessed for researchers like me and dr Talleyrand and other people to do research to find out whether or not these are useful medications I got a couple things to chime in. Go for it, Yarrow. 
you know, we talk about plant medicine, but this is not hemp-derived intoxicating cannabinoids being available uh, without age restrictions is not plant medicine. And I think the industry is best served to try to take the, the lead on, on, on industry favorable regulation versus reaction from government. What challenges me, and I love to quote Joanna Cedar on this, you know, hemp is just cannabis without a fence. But the challenge is, I think that the biggest threat to regulated cannabis is underregulated hemp. And so mm -hmm. until we can start to regulate cannabinoids based on which are psychotropic and get people loopy and which ones are not, this notion of where they come from and this bifurcated set of rules is really, really, really bad for all stakeholders. It's bad for destigmatizing cannabis. It's bad for, for having age-restricted products. It's bad for parents who have children that are still developing cognitively. And it's, it's, it's bad for, 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 for progressing the art and science of this plant medicine. And so I'm just troubled because I think that while the, our, the good doctor did talk about heavy metals potentially from vape tech uh, uh, components, having non-tested inputs that are being put into our body is never gonna work out for humanity. Like that's never the winning recipe. That's not gonna help us. And so I, I'm not down with OPP and I'm not down with untested THC and I'm not down with- <laughs> Oh, I see that... what you did there, Yarrow. Look at that. Oh, bars, Yarrow, yeah. bars. Yarrow is naughty by nature today. Married, I'm happily married and I'm married to the notion that a regulated supply chain is what's best for the patient and the consumer. Not an overly regulated and overly taxed, but something that is prudent and reasonable. And, and the thing that we have to remember when we start talking about plant medicine, because I've got my didgeridoo and I'm ready to put up my teepee in the backyard and I'm gonna have a drum circle tonight for the Sabbath. But what we need to remember when we talk about plant medicine is when these cannabinoids have been extracted from hemp, and then further refined, making them quote unquote synthetic. And synthetic is a real a weird word because we have to differentiate between something that was naturally synthetic or something that was then synthetic because of an additional uh, process within an extraction laboratory. But when we get to those those cannabinoids that have been synthetically created through hemp, we're no longer in the plant medicine field anymore. Like this is not how God and mother nature intended it. This is humans manipulating the natural inputs to create something that wasn't the way it was initially when it came out of the ground. And so I think, I think, I think under-regulated hemp is one of the biggest external threats to regulated cannabis. Yeah, it, it's active pharmaceutical ingredient synthesis just happening to mm -hmm. using CBD as a starting material. So all this chemistry, this chemistry was first described by Roger Adams back in 1940s and then re-described by Mishulam in the 60s. So this was all in the literature and you, you can't think that the intellectual furnaces in Washington were burning that hot when they signed the farm bill because they didn't contemplate that people were going to do this chemical conversion come on give me a break this chemistry has been known for a long time and i think now um, from what i understand this is a 5.9 billion dollar sector of the market that i think dwarfs the rest of the cannabis market combined um, just because it's a much larger addressable market without regulation and I could tell you, I've seen 
I've seen videos of of warehouses, large, three pallet high warehouses filled with finished goods. So you know there's deep pockets behind this. And you're right, I should look over my shoulder when I leave the lab at night because mm-hmm. there's a lot of money at stake on the table here. Mm-hmm. Without without a doubt, we got to keep it moving. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Mark, and thank you thank you for joining us. We're glad to have you on board, and all of your knowledge and expertise um, is going to be a very big value for the uh, for everybody watching. So thank you very much for joining us. But we got to keep this thing rolling. Rico, are you ready? We can do the promo. We just keep it rolling. We just can keep it rolling. We don't get enough time for all that right sure. now. Up next. He's a second-generation cultivator, the founder of Special Teams Consulting. In the Italian accent he gave us this morning is giving off some strong Liz Warren Cherokee Nation vibes. <laughs> Had to talk some shit. Coming up next is the Sebastopol Sage himself, Yarrow. Kubi, baby. Kubrin. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Here we are, high at nine news, getting ready to kick into a, a weekend here. My article today is California lawmakers vote to decriminalize psychedelics and move forward with cannabis cafes. A Sacramento legislative bill aimed at decriminalizing plant-based psychedelics, including mushrooms, received final approval on the Senate floor Tuesday and at Thursday and is now on its way to Governor Gavin Newsom's desk, according to officials. SB 58, introduced by California Senators Scott Weiner, Ash Kalra, and several others, passed 21 to 3, with 16 abstaining on the assembly floor Thursday. This, they are not a panacea. This is not a silver bullet, but there are plenty of people who have literally been able to turn their lives around because of psychedelics, said Weiner. Weiner has been championing the championing the, the bill for several years. He believes everyone from combat veterans with PTSD to those who suffer from disorders like, like, like anxiety and depression could benefit. Weiner said 13 of his bills were introduced during this assembly session, with four already passed to the Senate for a final sign-off. Quote, we are now one step closer to making our shared values a reality. These bills will streamline housing approvals, address the climate crisis, cap the out-of-pocket costs of insulin, expand access to PREP, protect LGBTQ, foster youth, decriminalize psychedelics, support small businesses, and more, he said in a statement. Several pieces of drug legislation have made their way through the state capitol on Thursday. Quote, the tide has turned and shifted dramatically on these issues in California. Supporting Support for decriminalization of substances and a full legalization of cannabis is overwhelming now, unquote, said State Senator Matt Harvey. Harvey supported Wiener's legislation and is also advocating for his own. Oh, that's embarrassing. Har- Harney introduced a bill that would allow certain cannabis retailers to sell food and beverages. The idea behind it would be to create cannabis cafes similar to those like the one... Uh, the ones in place in Amsterdam. The state Senate passed Harding's bill in an overwhelming margin. It now needs one more vote before heading to the governor. California should be a destination for cannabis, just like it is for wine. I agree. And one of the things that is holding us back from that right now is we can't really offer a cannabis experience that is legal, that is safe, that is regulated. While both proposals have gotten support from lawmakers, some in the public still have concerns, but Wiener believes they can work together to find solutions that work for everyone. Any substance can be misused. Any substance can impact someone negatively. That's true of substances that are legal, he said. Because for him, this is only the beginning. The step we're talk- taking, and hopefully we'll take if the governor signs a bill, is step number one in this process, and we have a lot more work to do, Wiener said. This is Yaro Kubrin for Hyatt 9 News. 
Yeah, no, this another wiener, make yeah. another wiener, make a move. Mm-hmm. No, this bill, this bill is a big deal. I know a lot of the consumption lounges are really, um, re- really in desperate need of this. So then that way they actually have some type of a business model. So then that way they can actually open and and, and operate because you can't just operate a standalone consumption lounge with just selling product. There, it has to operate as a restaurant in order to survive. I just like to note the the connection of. Um, you know, Representative Wiener, and the pulsating uh, phallic mushroom behind your head during this, <laughs> <laughs> you reading your story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a throbbing accusation, uh, and I am ready to discharge my dissatisfaction okay, let with your sport. imagery uh-huh. affiliation. Um, look, I, here's what I think, guys. I think that when we talk about plant medicine, it would not be fair and accurate to lump in cannabis with psychedelics. Um, uh, and I think that, you know, while I'm committed to both of them being an age-restricted products, mm-hmm. no one has ever jumped off a cliff because they took a heroic dose of OG Kush. But I mm-hmm. did watch somebody die who was on psychedelics at a concert because they did oh, wow. decide to jump off a cliff into the water and they didn't make it in the way they intended. So I think that, you know, it, it's important to not, underestimate the risks to psychedelics that are not in a clinical setting or a therapeutic environment or microdosed. And that being said, this notion of opening up regulations that allow for consumption lounges or increased sales of foods and beverages at places that sell cannabis, all it's doing is aligning the laws with human behavior. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. And I think that tourism is really important for California. And this is a great place to come. If you don't live in California and you are on some other part of the world right now and you are listening to Hyatt 9 News, come, eat our Dungeness Crab, drink our Russian River Valley AVA Pinot, smoke our amazing cannabis, enjoy the fruits of the world because we really live in some version of paradise. There's a reason why the majority of the nation's food is created in the Central Valley in California. And so I think that really wrapping our arms around how humans want to interact with cannabis anyway, is really important and will be uh, helpful for the regulated industry. Indeed. You, you have any thoughts on this real quick, Dr. Mark? Well, uh, I love Yarrow's jib. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand the California-centric kind of thinking. Uh, my son lives in L.A., and yeah, everything seems to be bigger and better and, you know, everything's, but, you know, even like here in Vermont, like as you were talking about, you know, your Pinots and, you know, what do we have in Vermont? We have maple syrup, snow, we have lots of snow and we have snow. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, again, there's kind of like, that's what the great thing about cannabis to me is the, is the Terra Noir, the, the, the unique strains that have basically permeated the cultures that have been here people have been growing weed up in the northeast kingdom as long as they've been grown in humboldt you know so i mean there's there's yeah i i i i you know the whole issue about schedule three everyone's talking about schedule three you guys have covered this to death here on high at nine you know that would end the industry as we know it. Does anyone get their their 
Um, weed from a Schedule Three dispensary is as even thing that exists. There's no such thing. So, no such thing. So what we need to do is just move to deschedule. Deschedule will also fix banking. Banking is just a big boondoggle. Just deschedule, and that fixes banking. Yep. So, yes, so many things would benefit from, and especially the artisan quality of cannabis production that was key to the triangle and key to the Northeast Kingdom and key to the OGs in upstate New York and down in the city. I mean, where the home of sour diesel and and where where the, the East Coast kind of vibe for the reason why people were sour is because it wasn't there wasn't enough diesel to go around, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> I yep. mean, it, it, and to me, it's like LA certainly captures that. And certainly there's other, you know, Denver's a great place, great weed culture in Denver. I think it's all over, Yara. I think it, I'd like to say it permeates our culture just like the music uh, of the Grateful Dead. <laughs> oh, boy. And on that, we got to, we have to keep this thing, we have to keep this train rolling. We are going to roll right. In to Mr. Stone Slade. He's out there in the great red state of Texas, um, contrary to what a lot of people want to say on this show and whatnot. But that's right. He is an avid fan of cannabis. And where he gets it from, we're still trying to find out. That's right. It is Mr. Stone Slade. Thank you, Jason. That was a uh, different I, I, I didn't want to go with Delta 8. I was trying not to do a Delta 8 on you, bro, but you're just you're such easy target, and I was just like, none of us know where you get your weed from. We, 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 can, we can call it THC-ATX. Yeah, THC-ATX. We didn't bring up Delta 8 because we just found out that it's in products. That's, 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 that's what I was trying. Yes, it's, it's not. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. You're all hopped up on Delta 8. Let me get to my story. <laughs> <laughs> There's a New Jersey lawmaker that believes that parents should be punished if kids find their stash. The growing trend of cannabis consumption, or more specifically, children accessing cannabis products, has once again taken the spotlight. Assemblywoman Ara Dunn, a Republican in Morris, is pushing to take uh, uh, to make it a crime for parents if their children can access their cannabis stash. Although the Cannabis Regulatory Commission already has regulations regarding packaging, Dunn wants to add a twist with criminal penalties tagged as a disorderly person's offense. Dunn says... An increasing number of children are gaining access to cannabis products following the legalization of adult use cannabis in New Jersey. Children are overdosing on edibles, not only because they are legal, but because they resemble benign candies and treats. And the statistics do kind of back her up. The, the number of poison control calls for children ingesting cannabis has seen a surge jumping from 73 calls in 2019 to 162 calls in 2022. Further data from the, the National Poison Data Center points to 486 dangerous cannabis exposures in 2021 alone, with a significant portion of these incidents involved. Five, sounds scary, right? But let's look at this from another angle. The same data reveals that cannabis constitutes as a minor 1% of all poison exposures. And while there can be severe side effects, especially for younger consumer, uh, consumers and those who just took too much, there haven't been any documented cases of fatal overdose. Now, if we compare this to traditional medications, cleaning substances, and even cosmetics, these substances actually have led to fatal outcomes, yet these substances don't get the same call for criminal penalties or stringent regulations. Dunn went on to say, 
Adults should be locking up their marijuana along with their liquor. The same precautions need to be taken because there are similar, similar consequences. Yet a spokesperson clarified that Dunn's proposal doesn't strictly define what uh, easy access or safe storage means. It merely aims to treat cannabis similarly to how alcohol is regulated without any governmental dictates on storage specifics. And it really is just, to me, common sense, folks. I agree that we should be concerned about the safety of our children. However, the challenge isn't only about packaging or even regulation, it's more about responsibility. I can't help but emphasize that the rise in incidents isn't about the attractive packaging. Many of these products haven't even been legal regulated cannabis products, but instead unregulated Delta 8 and Delta 9 items from the illicit market. And it's high time parents understand the gravity of their actions. Leaving these products within reach isn't any fault of the packaging or the product itself, it's poor parenting. Diane Calillo, a leading voice in the New Jersey medical community, summed it up best. For legalization to succeed, safety must be our highest priority. And that's all I've got. Remember, it's always let's always prioritize safety, responsibility, and education. Knowledge is the key to preventing these type of mishaps. I'm Stone Slade, keeping you highly informed on the Hyatt Night. They're trying to go after the parents in New Jersey, man. They're looking for some revenue over there in that get state them. they're going to get them i think they, I think they should take it a, a step further I oh yeah take it a step further you know uh, uh and, and and they should uh prosecute the stores that are putting out the shit when these kids find it if they can track it back to a, a store they're not going to they, be able to do that they should uh, punish the stores. they're not going to be able to do that that's not real that's not whether it's real or not the question is whether that's a uniform application of a policy right do we do that if a parent leaves out a bottle of booze and some kid chugs down some vodka do we leave do do we do we make safeway liable if you buy the clorox and your 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 stupid kid drinks bleach um so you know when we talk about blame that on, you can blame that on uh, 45 no, no, no. You, you know, you know what? A lot of that actually has to do with um, in, in regards with legally is the um, uh, it's, it's, it's the same type of bill that deals with the with the telecommunications. It's because they didn't. So it's basically because if someone committed a crime and used a Verizon phone in the commission of that crime, then without that bill, Verizon could be in in. A, basically a co-conspirator of committing that crime since someone used since someone used that Verizon phone and so it's because of, because of bills like that 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 eliminate that from being a reality so the, so the, so basically that's why we can't uh, blame the makers of guns same thing the uptick in violence well I mean I, 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 I don't believe that the makers of guns are responsible at all for the uptick of violence it's the uptick of violence is responsible for people's actions. But, but back to your uh, point, Rico. You if the makers if, of cigarettes, you mean the but, makers of cigarettes are responsible all for people's the, uh, actions, all, all people's actions. People choose to use those things. But, but back That's to your point, Rico. If a parent buys a gun and leaves it out loaded, and a young child gets yeah. access to that gun and harms themselves or others, those parents help, are held accountable. That they are. And so when we, we talk about age-restricted things yeah. in the home, things that could yep. create health and safety issues, I don't yep. think it's a stretch to, to suggest, especially when it comes to edibles that don't need to be decarboxylized, that those are kept stored safely away from small hands, small mouths, so that these aren't an issue. And, and, and in these newly regulated adult use states, Parents probably need a little bit of education on how to store their stash. 
I just I, I just feel like it should be it should be the same thing. I mean, a lot of states, all states have laws for uh, giving um, uh, alcohol to a minor, and I think it should just be fall under that same penal code across all fifty states and make it real easy. Not Wisconsin. Not Wisconsin. All right, in forty in forty nine yeah, states, in, in forty nine states, you can take your kid into a bar in Wisconsin and get him drunk. Real, real shit. Forty nine well, states. Every kid I know who has a practicing family is a little bit more than tipsy when it comes to those eight glasses of wine through religious ceremonies. Mm-hmm. 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 You know, uh, my, my man uh, Matthew Saint Germain on ain't on with us today, but we can talk about the uh, the immortality key and um, the original Catholic Mass and how they were actually tripping balls. It was all psilocybin, oh. <laughs> cannabis, oh, and DMT yeah. mixed in the in elixir, getting them drunk. And they actually did see Jesus walk on water because why? They were tripping balls. Oh boy, oh boy! I can get behind that story. I, I know. I know you guys. I know you guys can. I know you guys can. I, I'm gonna. This. Thank you very much, Stone. I'm gonna read this. I have this last little public service announcement for you guys. You guys are gonna enjoy this. You guys may have a little something you want to say about it coming up, but. <clears throat> Get ready for this. That's right. Because a New York subcommittee to hold the first public hearing on implementation of legal cannabis. Legal bottles over the last few weeks have delayed the opening of some retail cannabis dispensaries in New York. So officials are providing members of the legal adult use cannabis community to place uh, a place to voice their concerns over a rocky rollout of the industry. That's what they're calling it. The state Senate subcommittee on cannabis will be holding its first public hearing on the implementation of legal cannabis. Industry leaders and regulatory agencies will provide testimony as lawmakers look to be transparent in the process that's led to this point. I cannot believe they are framing it like this, but nonetheless, in a quote, if we're going to write this ship we're going to need to make real concrete policy solutions, said Democratic Senate uh, State Senator Jeremy Cooney of Rochester. And he also says, and that will be important, not just to licenses or applicants, but it will send a message that New York is truly ready to open adult use cannabis. Mark your calendars, everybody, because the hearing is set for October 30th and it will be open to the public. Oh boy, New York, New York. What do you guys think about this? New York's going to be ready for the adult use market. <laughs> I mean, can these people really be serious? Can they really take themselves that seriously? Um, yeah, they're New Yorkers. They take they uh, take themselves seriously. I mean, you, how- know, what, you know what, Jason. I, I had a I had a conversation with one of my homeboys in New York cannabis uh, last night, and um, <laughs> he was like, he was like, man, we ain't we ain't doing shit that uh, California has not done in the last seven in the last seven years, and mm-hmm. um, they, they they see it as a badge of honor, and uh, they love the way that the trap is winning and will continue to win. Oh, the trap is <laughs> crushing right now in New York. Yes, they're they're <laughs> traptastic out there. In my season. I will believe. I will believe this. What 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 will happen first? New York cannabis actually getting their shit together, 
or the passage of safe banking? Passage of safe banking. Because in order for New York, in or, the only way that New York's ever going to be able to clean this mess up in all, in all reality is if the industry is able to to get, to produce quality product at a scalable scalable form to where it is not cost productive for anyone to just be having an illicit grow because they can't still, they won't be able to offer it at the same price. And so until that happens, that's never going to happen. Yeah. Well, like you don't see people stand on the corner trapping milk, right? Cause it's not, it's not, it's not cost effective to keep a cow at your house house and produce its own milk. Right. Otherwise everyone be sitting there at home, milking cows, trapping milk on the corner. If it's trapped, if it's trapped milk, how you know that milk came from a cow? Oh. <laughs> Could it came from a goat, huh? <laughs> That's what you're gonna call it. Oh. The goat. It came from the goat. Mm-hmm. Very cute, very cute, Rico. Oh, that but, uh, of, yeah. Like, I, anybody else want to comment on the, on New York? Uh, what about you? Are I, I mean, I, I I feel like we should. I feel like we should do a stream of of the of the public comment on October thirtieth with here, commentary. Here's the thing. I'm not entirely sure that there's a direct connection between lawmakers and policymakers having public hearings and actually creating reasonable regulations and then subsequently implementing those regulations in a timely manner. And so I love this listening tour shit, but like y'all didn't listen out there for a minute. Now you guys stepped in the same dung pile and now you're trying to figure out how to clean off your shoe. I'm just not sure that they need to do a lot of listening tours. Like they did it right before Halloween. So I'm like, is this trick or treat, right? Like, I just don't know if that's really uh, an essential part of the step forward to do a better rollout than they have so far. More treats than tricks. Oh yeah. What you think stone? But on that note, Oh, man, it's, a mess. it's it's been fun to watch i think live streaming this would be awesome because there's gonna be a lot of pissed off people i feel bad for anybody that signed up for this in new york because they talked a good game leading up to it and then it man it's just it's been comical which i hate to say because there's a lot of people that sitting on product that they can't do anything with and mm -hmm. these guys still can't get their shit together Everything that we've gone through in the last seven years, New York has expedited that process. And magnified it times 10. I think we owe it to the Card Coalition in New York to like really wrap arms between East Coast and West Coast and to help support them in having some reasonable path towards regulated businesses so that people's time and their resources aren't dashed on the rocks of a of a, 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 a and, and that they they can actually get their you know get out there and, and run these businesses and and this notion of opening up 24 brick and mortar dispensaries per year uh, is a really really low bar i think new york could get 240 opened in one year if they put the appropriate resources and the appropriate people in the appropriate places are you talking about the curders yeah from the Kurdistan region yeah, of the, New York. The Kurd, yeah, yeah, the Kurds. Yeah, they're talking about the yeah, Kurds I, out there. They're going to get – I feel bad for them because they're going to get screwed by New York. They're going to get totally screwed by New York. Not, not on my watch. Not if the advocacy work that we do over here on the West Coast – not if we can wrap arms in arms. Not if we can be in support and solidarity. That's you, and not all of those things. All, all those things, Yarrow, you're putting one word in front of it, and that word is if. 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 It's and I don't see it happening. I love it. I love your passion. I'm with it. I'd even help you do it, but I just don't think it's reality. 
on that note, thank you all for joining us for another episode <laughs> of High Nine News. You can catch us weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific. High Noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to the super fans showing love, getting their comments posted live on the big screen to our live audience members and online supporters catching us across all media platforms, tuning in each day to the vetted headlines of chaos that uh also known as the uh developing cannabis industry to our vetted correspondent team tuning in from all over bring us much needed variety of perspective and your respected opinions to the table to our production team cloud media partners house of fuego all the sponsors keeping the lights on av struggles to a minimum and of course the lovely jaja simone holding us all the way down on all the other platforms too and as always cannabis sativa l the reason the hyatt nine news team gets up and reads these headlines daily thank you baby girl and uh you know what it's friday september 8th 2023 the show is over you've all been blessed with the top industry headlines hope it was enough for you to put in your pipe and smoke at least until monday my name is rico to meet the dopest dad on the street for high nine news and you know what dr mark why don't you take us out man give us some bless us with some more of that knowledge my brother thanks rico um let's see let me think of something good okay only users lose drugs users are losers Thank you.